for the past, present, and future of all animals. This is the Zookeeper's Voice with your host, Danny Jirasi. Hello, and welcome to the Zookeeper's Voice. I'm your host, Danny. Today on the show, we have conservationist and wildlife mentor, Julie Scardina. With a career spanning over four decades, Julie uses her expertise to continue making an impact in the lives of animals worldwide. From being the director of animal ambassador programs and corporate curator of animal training for SeaWorld and Bush Gardens, to being a regular on both The Tonight Show with Jay Leno and NBC's The Today Show, to traveling the world with Jungle Jack Hanna and appearing on his weekly show, Julie has been a strong figurehead in the animal and conservation world. Let's take a dive into our chat with Julie Scardina, conservationist and wildlife mentor. Today on the line, we have Julie Scardina, conservationist and wildlife mentor. How are you doing today, Julie? I'm terrific, Danny. Thanks for having me on the show. Awesome. Well, for those of us who are not familiar with your work, I know I'm familiar with your work, but not all of our listeners are. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, well, basically, I was in the zoological field working at SeaWorld and Bush Gardens for hard hard to believe, almost 40 years. Wow. And so I worked with uh, virtually every different species you could imagine, um, focused mostly on the marine mammals, long time with, um, you know, the sea lions, dolphins, and even the killer whales back when we got in the water with them and all that. So a really fun career. Uh, which was kind of my first career as an animal trainer, and then transitioned into uh, being kind of the animal ambassador, so to speak, for uh, SeaWorld and Bush Gardens, and did that for, oh gosh, somewhere near 15 years or so, which was um, probably the most um, unique type of job that I've, <laughs> that, I, that I ever would have imagined. Uh, and that, you know, ranged from everywhere from traveling and doing school programs to, um, special events for, you know, whoever, whatever group to also doing a lot of the, um, TV shows, national TV, like the today show and the tonight show with Jay Leno. So, um, it kind of really spread across the gamut, but I think my favorite aspect of the of my entire career was being introduced to conservation and being able to travel the world. And, and I started doing that with Jack Hanna when he was doing his uh, TV show, um, Animal Adventures. And uh, so that was a really special time. Uh, for a few years, I got a chance to travel the world and um, kind of basically write and produce uh, our, our own segments for SeaWorld and Bush Gardens um, and, uh, and, and really get introduced into what was happening in the world along the lines of conservation. So um, quite a wide breadth of, of experiences, but um, it all led me to, you know, still being and doing all those things today, even though I'm officially retired from SeaWorld and Bush Gardens. That's so awesome. And you've made such a big impact on the conservation world. Just from me working at SeaWorld as long as I did, your name, you know, it's, we loved having you there. And it's just so important when people hear your name. Um, now, what experiences through your career do you feel shaped you into the ambassador that you are today? Uh, that's a great question, Danny. And and what's really interesting about it is the fact that I'd have to say literally everything that I did, starting with 
um, learning about behavior. So my first job being an animal trainer was critical to being a successful animal ambassador and working with animals in studio and doing the types of events that we did. Because uh, first of all, you want your animals to be comfortable. And so you go through the process of conditioning them and you know desensitizing them to all the different places that you want them to go. And that was most important for me when we did uh, live shows, like you know going to t- the Tonight Show. Um, And what's really interesting to me is even though there had been quite a few uh, people who had been on The Tonight Show with animals before, I was the very first one who apparently went and asked if we could have some time alone uh, with the animals on stage so that the animals could get accustomed to where they were going to be later on that evening. And uh, it was it was, like I said, kind of interesting on my end that nobody else did that for their animals benefit. I'm not saying that they, that they, you know, didn't take good care of their animals. I'm just saying, you know, usually just like people, you know, animals uh, benefit from rehearsal and all that. So absolutely, uh, <laughs> the night show definitely got used to the fact that every single time we went, which was, uh, you know, in over 60 times, um, we always oh. got an, an hour or two uh, during their lunch break and a little bit before or after so that we could, you know, introduce the animals to the set and, and all that. So, you know, kind of having that, that behavior background really helped along those lines. And then, uh, of course, I also did the shows at SeaWorld. So learning how and um, just having that practice of speaking in front of people, certainly, and working with animals at the same time, which is probably the more challenging aspect of it, you know, not necessarily just speaking with people, but, you know, dealing with the animals at the same time was really uh, beneficial as well. And then finally, um, having the opportunity to learn firsthand about the issues that were going on in the world so that those things could be related and communicated back through stories and information about the animals themselves, um, so that it wasn't kind of this, you know, abstract idea that I was trying to get across, but really a very personal um, commitment that I wanted to share with people. Absolutely. Now, I have to ask you, you went on Jay Leno, you said 60 times? Uh, yeah, a few more than that, but yeah, around there. <laughs> Do you have like a, a memory that stands out to you during that time? Oh, gee, I, I, there, there were a lot of fantastic segment pieces that I just absolutely loved. Um, you know, a couple of them being serious, which was, you know, bringing like a, a hyacinth macaw and everybody, you know, listening intently while the macaw, you know, flew on the stage and then, you know, talking about the, the plight of macaws, you know, it's just to me, you know, just shows a lot of things. One is that, again, the comfortability of the animals, the fact that this bird was very comfortable, flew on the stage, stayed there, you know, while we were just talking about him. And, you know, uh, we didn't really have to mess with him or, you know, I mean, he, he, I knew this animal well, so, you know, he came over to me afterwards and all that. So from that aspect, just the way that we worked with our animals, it kind of highlights and, and illustrates that many of the animals didn't have leashes or things on them. And when they did, they weren't used for control. Uh, They were just used for safety. So that's, you know, kind of a, um, like I said, just a good illustration. And then, of course, there are funny moments, um, which, uh, you know, vary depending on a lot of times I wasn't necessarily with 
anybody but Jay out there uh, because oftentimes we were the first guest, but sometimes there were other guests out there and just their reactions to the animals as much as Jay's reactions. So um, like we had a, a baby bear out there one time and um, Hugh Grant was out there and he was just like a little overwhelmed by the fact that he was out there with a bear, you know? <laughs> but, uh, but it was a, it was a fun segment. We had a baby kangaroo with his mom out there who hopped around. And then during the segment, you know, just on, on his own hopped right into mom's pouch and then stuck his head out, you know? So, I mean, just adorable animal behavior, um, and letting things unfold in a natural way, which is what I love. Um, and then, you know, those ones where you're just, um, <laughs> you're, you're kind of wishing that they hadn't happened, not that anything <laughs> horrible happened, but, uh, we lost, uh, we lost a marmoset, which is a very small type of primate oh, no. <laughs> uh, in the studio and the studio is huge and it's literally like three stories high with all the lighting that you can imagine and, you know, and all the stuff up in the rafters and all that so we spent um, we spent the evening and nighttime looking for the animal. We didn't find it, um, so we we set up some uh, it's of, of its kennels with some food in it. And I stayed. I actually slept in the green room that night uh, at the at the studio. And the next morning, some other people came out, and we we kept looking. And, uh, and we had a kennel right by where the area where had, it had gone in, as well as some other areas. And right before the next show was about to start, uh, like the band started playing or whatever, and he must have gotten disturbed because I think he fell asleep <laughs> inside the area right where he went in. And he came right back out, went into his kennel, and we took him home right before <laughs> the next show started. So, so it ended very well, uh, but it, it definitely had my heart beating for uh, about a 24-hour period, about oh a 23-hour period of time. So anyway, lots of great memories. Jay Leno is just such a fantastic guy. And uh, it was so easy and nice. And, and his entire staff uh, ended up, you know, being like family. So it was a great period of time. Oh, yeah. And the Jay Leno show, like everybody loves that show. So it's so cool that you, you know, beca basically became a part of that show almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was surprising when uh, the last show that I was on. Uh, Jay actually announced that I was his most frequent guest and oh, that wow. surprised me a little bit. Yeah. But you know, it's it, obviously it was because of the animals and the fact that SeaWorld and Bush Gardens had such wonderful animals and we presented them in such a, uh, respectful and educational way that also the producers loved that as well, because it was slightly different than a lot of other people who didn't necessarily talk uh, a lot about conservation or the educational aspects, let Jay uh, and the animals handle most of the uh, humorous times. And, uh, and it was rare that I actually came out with anything that people laughed at, but every once in a while I tried to do that too. <laughs> Man, so, uh, that's so I let so the animals cool. and Jay just kind of take that over. So it was fun, fun, fun period of time. I love that. That is so cool. Now, your resume is, you know, so big. And one of the things that's on your resume is a book. So can you tell us a little bit about your book? I believe it's called Wildlife Heroes. That's right. Um, I actually co-authored the book with Jeff Flocken, who uh, at the time was, the, uh, was working for IFA, the International Fund for Animal Welfare. Jeff and I have known each other for... 
oh gosh, I don't know, more than 20 years probably. And uh, kind of going back to when he was at National Wildlife Federation and I was doing shows in the parks and we had the opportunity to work together. We hit it off just so well that, um, you know, we've kept a very close friendship ever since. And he came to me one year and said, uh, if you were to pick like your favorite heroes, what list would you make, you know? And, you know, that was kind of typical of Jeff to always have these, you know, really great things working in his head. So I was like, well, okay, you know, I'll help Jeff out. I'll I'll make a list of, you know, my favorite um, animal heroes or whatever. And after I did so, you know, a little while later, he goes back and he goes, what do you think we should write a book on this? You know, so it took us about three years and literally working every weekend uh, on the phone because he's in Washington, D.C. and I'm in San Diego, California. And uh, staying up late at nights and just going over, you know, the stories and the chapters and the interviews that we did and uh, where are we going to get the pictures and how are we going to put them together and all that type of stuff. But after three years, we were very, very proud of our book. Um, it, it went through it, it won a couple of awards and went through, you know, three or four reprints or whatever. Not that it was a bestseller, but um, everybody that I know, at least that um that has come into contact with it really appreciates the uh, there there's 40 chapters and each chapter tells the story about a person who has dedicated their lives to saving a species. And it's uh, kind of divided into four parts. And uh, I think, like I said, anybody who picks it up now, unfortunately it's out of print, but I still think you can find them out there. Uh, but you know, if you go to Amazon or, um, uh, they used to sell them at Barnes and Noble, but again, you know, you probably have to look around because they're um, they've decided not to publish it anymore, which I'm a little disappointed about. But in any case, uh, it was a, definitely a, a a work of love, uh, and and both of us just uh, are very proud of the fact it was it was very special. That's so cool. I had no idea that you know your book also won awards. So not only. Have you done all the things that you've done? But you're also an award-winning author. <laughs> well, uh, like I said, it was it was probably one of the more difficult things, the more time-consuming things that I've ever done. So, uh, so it, it's really gratifying to uh, to have something something like that that's concrete to hold in your hands. Absolutely. Now, one thing that I know that is probably very dear to your heart is um, your time that you worked at SeaWorld. And one question that I have for you is, was it hard being in a leadership position at SeaWorld during all of the change that the company went through? And looking back, is there anything that you might change? Um, Gee, that's a really tough question. Um, I think, uh, no, I would say, first of all, I would say no, that I, in terms of the leadership position, I actually... um, there's two sides to that, I guess. One is I I had been obviously for years and had worked my way up to uh, the director of training in SeaWorld of San Diego before I um, left to do the animal ambassador job full time. But I was still in I was still still in the zoo department, so um, it wasn't like changing departments. But I, I really kind of was out of the immediate loop for a good 10 years or so when, um, when things did start to change dramatically after the incident and they had asked me to come back and participate in the review process of, you know, um, a lot of our, uh, operating procedures and, and safety procedures and, and things. So 
from that standpoint, um, I felt, I felt very gratified that I could help. So, um, the, having the background that I had meant that, um, I could use the knowledge of all my years in animal training and, and hopefully, uh, make sure that anything in the future, you know, was, was, uh, absolutely, you know, as safe as it could possibly be and, and helping the, the current trainers, uh, do their job as, as well as, as we could possibly do it. And then caring for the animals as, as well as, you know, again, you know, we could possibly care for them. So, so being in that position at that time, um, w- was actually very, um, very gratifying that I could kind of give back. Uh, but it also was difficult from the standpoint that I pulled back from a lot of the work that I did hands-on with all the parks and the travel and the working with animals. And even though I still directed all of our animal ambassador programs in, in the six parks, because that, that was uh, kind of became my job after a while, um, and, and that was still an important part of my job. I found that what happened was I was in my office more than I was um, in the parks or on the road or doing events or educating, you know, about conservation, which, you know, had become my passion. And so from a personal standpoint, it was a, a very difficult time in terms of just, you know, like, not as much fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, definitely probably uh as meaningful as as the other um part of what I was doing, you know, in, in terms of educating people about conservation and animals, but not nearly on the fun side, you know, it was more on the very serious and and um and and like I said, you know, kind of at that point more mentoring and, and trying to give back as much as I could. Yeah. And I think that one cool thing that I'm taking away from this conversation I'm having with you is all the different um, aspects of your role in in terms of, you know, working for SeaWorld, but also just like in your career. There's so many different aspects that have come from that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I I, I did kind of neglect to to say because that was a big part of of what we did uh, in the last um Again, you know, it's hard for me to even look back because there's <laughs> you, you lose track of time so easily. But, um, you know, Ginny Bush, who was August Bush's daughter, because uh, Anheuser-Busch owned us for a very long period of time, uh, became a close colleague back in the early 2000s. And, you know, thanks to um, her interest and her dad's interest in in educating about conservation, about animals and, uh, getting out there and talking to people and doing events and things like that. We had developed, um, quite a great team of people in each of the parks that, um, would help us represent, you know, all of the parks, no matter where, which park they came from. And, um, you know, it, it just, uh, that was something that, um, was very valuable to the parks for a long period of time. But, um, again, after kind of, we we got pulled away from, we both got pulled away from that role. Uh, it was, it was a bit sad to kind of leave that behind a little bit. And, and now they're, they're really not continuing it to the extent that it had been before. Well, you've made such a huge impact, um, on the parks, regardless of whether, you know, they're able to do that right now or not. But 
you're also doing other things um, in your career. So could you tell us about the Emerging Wildlife Conservation Leaders Program? Yeah, so Danny, uh, that is, uh, I'm on the board and I was one of the founding members, which um, again, kind of goes back and I, I, I'd ha- I'm guessing, I think this is the seventh or eighth class and they're two years long. So I, you know, maybe uh, like 15 or 16 years or something like that. Um, and it is a group of conservation professionals from all different organizations. So everything from, uh, from U.S. Fish and Wildlife, people who are uh, at Humane Society International, which is where Jeff Flocken is now. He actually is the president of HSI um, and everything in between. Um, so we've got conservation, you know, we've got Conservation International, National Wildlife Federation, uh, you know, everything that you can imagine. A lot of uh, some some zoos um, from Disney to San Diego Zoo. Um, but there's uh, a lot of people on the board who, uh, again, are willing and able and um gracious enough to give back a lot of their time after a illustrious, after illustrious careers or in the middle of, of their careers, which makes it even more difficult, uh, to young upcoming emerging leaders in the field of conservation. And, uh, there's usually, um, a class, we, we choose a class about once uh, every two years uh, of about 20 to 25 people. So it's a, a limited number of, of participants. And these participants basically are mentored by, by all of us and, and, you know, potentially guest speakers and, and, um, and other ways that, uh, that we have. We, we design uh, or actually the participants design their campaigns, which revolve around conservation and saving a, a particular species um, or a particular issue for that matter. Um, and so it's a, just a fantastic way for, for relatively new leaders. So you have to be in the conservation field already, not just, you know, coming out of school or in school. We want people who are already in the conservation field, but who feel that additional skills training in either um, policy, leadership, communication, uh, you know, even field work in some cases, uh, you know, fundraising, all of those types of things, we provide uh, additional training in so that you become more well-rounded and are able to, uh, in a lot of cases, and in most cases, uh, face uh, the challenges that arise as you move up through the ranks. And what we have heard and found from, you know, past alumni, which uh, we've got a very strong, uh, you know, group of alumni who basically become the UCL alums and, and even mentor, you know, the new participants coming through is that um, it did help them in their careers and it helped them in their lives in many cases and it helped them become better conservationists and uh, accomplish more than than they uh, originally had thought they might be able to accomplish. So it's a great program. Um, You can find it online if your listeners are interested. Uh, If you just look up Emerging uh, Wildlife Conservation Leaders, it should show up. uh, We call it for short, UCL, (laughs) E-W-C-L. And, um, and it'll let you know, you know, how you can apply. Now, uh, this is the off year, so it would be one more year 
before we'll take applications. We usually get about 150 or so applications and choose, like I said, between 20 to 25. So a, a fantastic program. Um, and I totally would recommend it for anybody who's in that, like I said, that kind of uh, low to mid-level conservation uh, profession right now and wants to, you know, move up and, and make a make a place for themselves. Well, we're definitely going to make sure that we um, add in links for our listeners so that they can check that out. Um, another thing that we want our listeners to check out, and maybe you can g- tell us a little bit about it, is the Mission Wildlife Annual Fundraiser. Absolutely. So this is uh, coming up in, uh, what, about three weeks or so, October 5th. So this is our sixth annual Mission Wildlife Fundraiser. And it started um, in 2014 when, or 2013, I guess, when a group of us went to Africa. Not, Not my first trip because I had been with Jack many, many times, but it had been a while since I'd gone and, and, got a few friends together who wanted to go, got some family together. And uh, we visited some organizations in Uganda and Kenya. And after we got back, we said, you know what, we really need to do something more for, for these organizations that we visited. Because when, you know, I, I was a little spoiled. I will tell you, Danny, I was a little spoiled when, when my, my first trips to, uh, well, not, maybe not my very first trips, but my, you know, many of my trips abroad, uh, were traveling with Jack Hanna while he's filming his show. And when you're doing, when you're, when you're associated with that, when you're a part of that, you get to do all the cool behind the scenes stuff, you know, and, and you get all these special things and, you know, and, and so you're treated a little bit differently. So, I, I got so spoiled that when I do my trips, I always say, you know what? I have to contact some of my you know, friends and some of these organizations and we have to do some behind the scenes. And um, I want to make sure we get a chance to do some things that other people don't get to do. And absolutely. So, you know, I, I, I absolutely uh, cannot just go as a tourist anywhere anymore. Uh, so I've been spoiled for life. But in any case, so we did meet up with um, some fantastic organizations while we were there. And when we came back, you know, we all kind of got together and said, we, we, we want to do more. So we, the first year just did kind of a off the cuff, you know, like, let's just, you know, do an event and invite some people and whatever we raise, we'll, we'll give to them. And, you know, literally we raised like $4,000 the first year. And, uh, you know, we didn't have anybody from the organizations, even though we were doing it, we just wanted to make a donation. And after that, uh, our, main sponsor, our, our actual premier sponsor has been since year one, Piper and Heath Travel, which are African specialists here in San Diego. And if anybody uh, does uh, any travel to Africa, you know, that's who I use um, every single time I go. I uh, would definitely recommend them either, you know, contact me or contact them directly either way. But, uh, but mention Mission Wildlife and Julie, oh. <laughs> just because I want them to know they're getting something back from it because there are, there are premier sponsors. Um, and after that very first event, which, you know, we all kind of pulled off, like I said, off of the, you know, seat of our pants, they said that was an amazing event because why? 
Danny, because we brought ambassadors, of course, animal ambassadors from SeaWorld and Bush Gardens and, and people, you know, had a great time and, uh, and they were blown away and they got to meet How could animals. they not? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We all know that that makes a huge impact. So after that first event, uh, Piper and Heath was all bought in. They became our, like I said, our, our annual sponsors, um, SeaWorld uh, has been a, a large donor every year um, of, of many different types of things, the experiences which we auction off, uh, tickets which we can use as incentives, et cetera, et cetera. We've had a lot of other um, such wonderful and generous donors to, to pull off our annual Mission Wildlife event each year. But this year, it is for two organizations that are super working with animals that are super imperiled right now. And uh, if if I were to ask you, you know, which animals would be on the top of your list, you, you might right off the bat say elephants, uh, because you probably know about the ivory trade right. and how much it has devastated uh, the population of elephants. And literally, you know, from from a century ago, when there were probably three to five million elephants at least, uh, and having gone through um, not only the ivory uh you know collection over the years just before it was even illegal uh but then back in the 70s and 80s when people really started um you know really started uh buying and valuing ivory especially in the far east but also in the united states and many other countries um it halved the population back then to a little over uh, a million animals, um, and again, this was kind of a you know a, a slow decline at first, and then uh, and then a really rapid decline in the in about a you know fifteen to twenty year period, it's and then terrible. again, yeah, well, then again, it happened because so so uh, fortunately, this was back in the back in the eighties, they they realized this was happening, and uh, the the founder of Save the Elephants, which is the organization that we're uh, that we will, we will be supporting this, this year, uh, is Ian Douglas Hamilton, who is a very well-known worldwide elephant researcher and conservationist. And he was the one to ring the, the alarm bell the very first time. And then again, when he saw it starting to happen, um, just, you know, uh, for this latest, uh, period of time when um, people started killing elephants again. After the first one, they they were kind of able to stop it because it wasn't necessarily run by organized crime. It was a little bit more about um, you know people who could make some money and get the ivory out and and you know figure out ways to make that happen. But now it's literally run by organized crime. The same people who. Uh, run drugs and arms and humans uh, are, are also doing wildlife. And, and up until uh, a few years ago, and literally in many countries still today, uh, the, the uh, penalties for wildlife crime are much lower than they are for any of those other crimes. So people uh, still feel like, hey, there's less risk. We might as well um, you know, we might as well kill, kill, kill animals in general. And the illegal wildlife trade is, you know, literally up there, uh, in the, in the $20 billion range per year. So, um, so now there's only about, you know, 
400,000, 420,000 maybe elephants in all of Africa, which sounds like a big number, but when you spread them across the continent and knowing that there used to be just 100 years ago, three to five million uh, estimated, that that's a pretty significant decline. So uh, Frank Pope, who is Ian Douglas Hamilton's son-in-law, will actually be here for the event. And uh, so will David DeBollin, a good friend of mine who um, is actually a Samburu warrior and uh, works as their um, field operations, head of field operations. So he knows every single one of those elephants out there. So when I go to Samburu, I, um, I always contact David and say, uh, David, David, can you take me out so I can see your elephants, you know? And it's fantastic because he knows them. He can, you know, show me what what uh, family I'm taking pictures of. Uh, last year, we actually unbelievably uh, ran into an orphan calf and needed to rescue it from the river, which the guides actually did. But then, uh, but then once it was ashore, uh, there were some of us animal caretakers there, and nobody else knew what to do. So we helped keep it warm and and comfortable and, and, um, you know, get it some fluids before, uh, they were able to bring it to, um, the rescue center there. And David knew what family it came from. So, you know, it was just uh, a great story of, you know, being able to, um, rescue a a little orphan elephant while we were out there. So, um, those guys are going to be here for the event. It's fantastic. Um, if anybody is in the San Diego area and wants to attend, um, they can go on to our Mission Wildlife uh, website or our Mission Wildlife Facebook page. And I think you're going to have a link of it up um, where you have uh, this interview posted. So hopefully folks can also uh, go on there. And if you're not in the San Diego area, um, please don't hesitate. There's no fees or anything like that. And even if all you can donate is $10, uh, we'd be more than happy because the, 100% of the money donated, 100% of the money from the fundraiser actually goes directly to the organizations that we're raising money for. Awesome. And those two organizations are Save the, the Elephants? First, right. And then the second one is Owasso Lions. So now I'm going to kind of tell you a little bit of story about a lion, but about lions as well. Awesome. If, uh, if we still have time. Absolutely. Uh, so, um, again, as, as there were many more elephants a century ago, there were also many more lions a century ago. And it's unbelievable to people when they hear this because nobody hears about declining lion populations. They only hear about declining elephant populations. Right. But, what uh, there, you know, again, estimating about 200,000 um, lions across Africa a century ago. And, and remember, you know, lions are at the top of the food chain. So there's always less predators than there are prey animals out there. There's always uh, less carnivores than there are. Uh, well, I won't say carnivores in general, but in any case, in the predator in the predatory um, arena there. 200,000, you know, across Africa, but now it is estimated there are only approximately 20,000 lions left in all of Africa, which is, if you think about it, a very small number. And um, the Owasso Lions Group works specifically in northern Kenya, where in Kenya it's estimated to be about 2,000 lions. 
And in northern Kenya, when they first started working there, they had only found literally a handful of, of lions that were left. And many reasons for this. Um, a lot of it has to do with um, just the fact that there's way more people, which means there's also more agriculture. There's more uh, cattle and livestock grazing. Um, so there's less habitat for lions. Uh, but there's more people. There's also more conflict. This also happens with elephants. So there's conflict with elephants and there's also conflict with lions. When they're, when a lion uh, takes a uh, one of their livestock, that, that's like, um, you know, their livestock does mean obviously a lot to them. It's not just, uh, you know, something that we would look at as, you know, oh, it you know, something killed my, killed my cow. You know, it, it is actually a very prized uh, measure of wealth for them. And so it, uh, they will go out and basically retali retaliate against the lion by going out and trying to kill it, which oftentimes um, they used to. But Owasso Lions works was started by a, a, a young woman named Shivani Bala, who lived in Kenya and would go out and see um, the wildlife with her family and just loved being out there. So she started doing research on uh, a variety of different animals and ended up targeting, you know, or focusing on lions. And uh, by working with the local community, um, there's, there's actually, again, another young man uh, named um, Jenneria, and he is also a Samburu warrior, and he started a program called... Um, lion warriors and he actually protect so instead of uh when maasai or samburu young men grew up traditionally they were supposed to kill a lion to show that they're brave enough to protect their families and the community oh wow that's their that's their role and so for centuries uh they would go out and you know show that that they were brave and, and, you know, that most, many of them, uh, would go out and kill a lion in order to, in order to, uh, prove that. But what Jenneria did was he actually turned that around because he said, you know, we need to protect the lions in our community. Um, there is a value to those lions and not only from a tourism standpoint, but from a cultural standpoint, if they were to lose all their lions, uh, you know, what would that mean for, for, you know, for their culture even moving forward. And so he started this program where he brought in other young Samburu warriors. And instead of killing lions, they now became protectors. And so he will personally, if something happens, go to a village and talk with them about the situation, what happened, and try to talk them down from wanting to go out and kill that lion and instead reason with them and say, you know, we'll help you to protect your livestock, um, maybe show you how to build better uh, bomas, which is like a protective area around their livestock, uh, maybe let you know if there's a certain lion that's in the vicinity, uh, you know, all these different ways that they are now working with them. And uh, they even now have what are called Mama Simbas, Mother of Lions. And these women, we're going to actually have two Mama Simbas at the event, which is pretty amazing. And these women also have dedicated their lives now. And these are women who, I, frankly, I'm not even sure if they speak English. Um, so they'll be here at the event. But 
but they are just so dedicated and they love the lions now that they can't imagine, you know, having anybody kill a lion in their, in their area. So um, it's pretty impactful. The number, the lion numbers have increased dramatically in their area, which is uh, again, kind of Northern Kenya. So we're not just talking about a, a small area. Lions live a little bit differently. They don't live in prides in these areas. So they, there, there is a lot more kind of fission fusion uh, where they'll come and go. Uh, and, and so it's a lot more difficult to do research on them. But Shivani and her team has done this now for, I think this is their 10th or 11th year, and uh, really made a huge difference in the area for uh, predators in general and lions specifically. Wow. Well, we're going to definitely make sure that our listeners know either where they can get tickets or where they can donate to those amazing organizations, because it sounds like they're making a really big impact in those areas. Um, Now, before we let you go, um, I did want to ask, what is your overall message that you'd like our listeners to take away from this interview? You know, I I think the main thing, Danny, is just that we all need to do what we can. I know everybody has different thoughts about what they're able to do, what they're capable to do, what they have financial means to do, uh, what they want to do, and all those types of things. But everybody needs to do something, needs to do what they can do. And this could be anything from the very simplest things, which are, you know, hopefully we'll all, you know, reduce, reuse and recycle. Um, you know, if you can plant native plants in your yard, you know, that, that helps, um, the, your local environment dramatically when you think about it, you know, the number of people that are now, uh, you know, not only in the U S but on the planet, if everybody did that, it certainly would make a difference. Um, but also, you know, beyond that is, communicating with your elective representatives. A lot of people don't think about how impactful that actually is. And I've been to Washington, D.C. for several um, of the uh, types of events where, um, you know, you you talk to your representatives and, you know, you you try to um, let them know about particular issues or things like that. And every single time that I've done that, uh, they come back to us with, you know, you don't know how important this is because so many people think that we're not listening. And, it, and it's so much different than, um, you know, when you think about maybe the highest, the level, which it maybe is the, you know, the presidential level. But our, our local representatives who, who represent us in our districts um, are the ones who are most likely to listen. And those are the ones who, if you can go talk with them and let them know how you feel about uh, preserving a local uh, park or environment or wilderness area, or let them know about bills that are coming across their desk that have to do with the preserving the Endangered Species Act. Um, anything that means a lot to you, it can be, can be communicated to your representatives. And when it's done in person, first of all, it is the most impactful when it's done by personal letter, it can be super impactful as well. Um, when you sign a, a survey or a, um, what do you call those things when they come across? Um, Oh, a petition. 
a petition. You know? <laughs> there it is. <laughs> there again. <laughs> All right, yeah. So, um, so you know, better a petition than nothing, but better in person than anything. You know. So absolutely. And then you know, lastly, uh, you know, I mean, there's so many different things, but you know, also just you know, if you have a favorite species or a favorite cause get involved. If you can get involved, do so. If you can only donate, do so. But, um, you know, it, you're, you can make a difference no matter, even if it's a little bit. Absolutely. And I think that one thing we try to, you know, talk about here on the zookeeper's voice is that every person can make a difference. Um, if you don't think that you can make a difference, you're, you're wrong. If 8 billion people say that they can't make a difference together, they can. So exactly, exactly. Now, before we let you go, um, can you tell our listeners where they can follow you and support your causes? And we will make sure that we uh, post those links, but where can they follow you on social media? Uh, yeah. So everybody, uh, my, my Twitter is at Julie Scardina, which I typically just tweet about conservation and different animal species. And, you know, when I am doing an event or something like that, uh, that is a public event or, if, um, or if there's a fundraiser, so they'll, they'll probably find it there. Um, Instagram is J <laughs> I don't know what Instagram is. <laughs> J a Scardina, I think, or something like that. Uh, but I, I, I don't, uh, post on Instagram very often, uh, but you can find me there under, under something close to that. And then I also have a website if you, if anybody is interested in, potentially getting in touch for a number of different reasons, uh, an event, a special event that they might uh, want to have at a zoo that they're, you know, that they either work at or, um, whatever, you know, we can bring animals or not bring animals either way. Um, there's some really interesting, you know, similar to some of the things that we might've talked about. Uh, but a lot of other things that, that, uh, I can bring to the zoo, um, type of talk as well. And uh, or traveling to Africa, which, uh, like I said, I kind of do trips and lead trips to Africa. So there's always that option as well. So that's at uh, juliescardina.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Julie, for coming on the Zookeeper's Voice. We loved having you on today. That was fantastic. Always great to talk about conservation. You can't shut me up, can you? (laughs) We loved having you on and the door is always open for you to come back and talk to us some more. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Danny. Have a, uh, you know, hopefully this was a good show for you and uh, congrats on your, uh, on your endeavor here. Thanks, Julie. I know I say this about some of our guests, but I really mean it when I say that I feel like we could have talked to Julie for hours. That woman was so full of knowledge and so well-spoken, and and I enjoyed every second of listening to that. Yeah, so many stories, too. (laughs) And so many times we were going through uh, online, going through your brain, trying to figure out who we wanted to have on the Zookeeper's Voice, and Julie was always one that was near the top of your list. So it was really exciting for you to get her. Yeah, especially so soon into our journey um, on the Zookeeper's Voice. And one thing that I I think that we talked about, but we haven't talked about on the air, is that Julie Scardina is such a... I mean, she's a big deal in general, but every time she comes to SeaWorld San Antonio um, and Jack Hanna comes, it's, it's like having... She's a celebrity. Yeah. And so... You know, people get so excited and so inspired and just 
so honored to be just in her presence and to be learning about her and seeing her with different animals and picking her brain. So to have her on the zookeeper's voice is so, so exciting. And not to sound cliche or anything, but you know that phrase, you know you're a big deal when, mm-hmm. and that that sentence ends with, you are the most common guest on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. I know, isn't that insane? How, <laughs> how amazing is that? It, it, it's really awesome. And it's, it's really cool because, you know, if you're not in the circle of the animal world, you don't always know about maybe some of the people that we have on our show, but that's why we have this platform to bring those people to you. However, it is not that way with Julie Scardina. Mm -mm. People know who she is and they know who she is because she's such an inspiration and also just such a pillar in the animal world. And Absolutely. She's, she's still doing so much. And she said she was on there about 60 times, which means like, you know, it was at least for a 20 plus year span when she was on that show. Right. And we didn't even get her talking about the Today Show. And apparently she's been right. on the Today Show yeah. a lot as well. One of the promotional pictures she sent us was her on the Today Show, which is amazing. Right. So this this amazing woman has been all over television spreading the good news. Yeah. And I think that a really cool thing to do is to continue to support the causes that she has brought to our show. Right. Especially because someone like her is showing the way of where we need to go in terms of taking care of the natural world that we share with these animals. And we need to make sure that we're doing these things. So we need to follow her lead and, you know, donate to the causes that she she thinks are important because the thing is in a world that is so full of technology and you know maybe us not getting to be as involved as we want to with traveling the world and conservation we can do so much um by following her lead absolutely so i'm just so thrilled to have her on the show and I'm excited to see what she continues to do. Even after 40 years at you know SeaWorld, she continues just to make a giant impact. And we're so grateful to have her time on The Zookeeper's Voice. And for somebody that's, that's enjoying that retired life and for her to keep doing what she's doing is pretty amazing. Yeah, I feel like she's one of those people, though. She's retired, yeah, but she's but still... But can't hang it up. <laughs> yeah, but can't hang it up. She's still going to be making an impact no matter where she goes exactly. and what she does. All right. Well, for all of our listeners, please make sure that you check out our links that we're going to put on the description of our show. You can make a donation to help save elephants and lions. And we will make sure that we share um, some additional links, some additional websites so that you can follow along with Julie and support these causes and, you know, save as many animal lives as we can. Also, please make sure you rate and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And be sure to stay up to date with all the happenings here at The Zookeeper's Voice on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and thezookeepersvoice.com. For the past, present, and future of all animals, this has been The Zookeeper's Voice. We'll see you next time. Bye.